Facebook now has 2 billion monthly users. Instagram has now ballooned to 800 million uh, users. And instead of asking how many of you are on social media, I'd actually like to ask how many of you have avoided social media? Raise your hand real high and real proud. (laughs) Really? That's interesting. All right, just a few. First hour is actually more than I thought. Well, why is social media so so exciting, I guess, for people? Why are people so into it? I guess there is a platform there for connection. That's positive for reuniting with family and friends. That's positive. Uh, Sometimes it can be a a platform for passive aggressiveness and complaining. But one of the things I've learned is it is a platform for perfection. And uh, people like to put an image out there that says this is who I am. When in fact, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. And I saw these how-to articles on Instagram. Here's some of them. How to build the perfect Instagram profile. How to create the perfect Instagram posts. You can find out how to take the perfect Instagram selfie. Might be helpful. How to write the perfect Instagram bio. How to create your perfect Instagram theme. (coughs) How to create the perfect image. Of in Instagram, and then finally, how to use Instagram to create your picture-perfect life. So many people want to make sure that they are airbrushed and taken care of, and that they have put the proper filters on, so that what they look like on the outside looks different than maybe what they actually are. In fact, NBC 15 in Wisconsin uh, had a report entitled "Instagram is Leading to Incre- Increased Depression and Anxiety in Teenagers." Grace uh, Rigsmith, a freshman at Verona High School, said she feels a lot of pressure to post perfect pictures. The article goes on to say rates of anxiety and depression in high school students and junior high students have risen by 70% in the past 25 years. And some of that, they believe, is related to social media. Because whether it be body image or bullying or unrealistic expectations, they feel like they can't measure up. Time Magazine also reported that social media posts can can uh, lead to these unrealistic expectations and create feelings of inadequacy and low self-esteem. And while there is some value in social media, uh, there also is caution against it. I'm not against it. I think it's helpful for a lot of reasons, but we do have to be careful. I I do have to admit, though, that sometimes I feel like this. I feel like this. May your life someday be as awesome as you pretend it is it is on Facebook. And sometimes I feel like this. Reading about your perfect life on Facebook makes me want to unfriend you, all right? And so instead of that, I thought I would give you some real posts from our staff over just the last couple months. This is real life. This is uh, Jessica Romano, Eli and Mabel meet Santa. That's a real life photo. This is Aaron. She writes, this kid swinging his shirt without a care in the world. He's my role model. This happened to be at a Reds game, and Jason got in particularly into the rally of the game, strips off his shirt and starts swinging it. She was across the way and saw it over there. In fact, they put him on the big screen twice up there swinging. I was never prouder than that. And here's one for me. Uh, Someone made two transactions using my debit card today at Kohl's.com. I just made a purchase and very soon after they had used my card for $600. Don't know how they get it, but Merry Christmas to them. Next, this is from uh, Rob and uh, Rob Carpenter. And this is their home that they're trying to move into and renovate. It says, the word adventure has just gotten overused. For me, adventure is when everything goes wrong, that's when the adventure begins. Or this one. Aaron writes, here's a prayer request, an update for those who may not know. Last Thursday, Adam was in a car accident. He's fine. But we're now on the end of figuring out what to do next. His car is totaled. 
Okay. Jerry, health update from October. There were a couple of areas of concern on last week's CT scan. So they'll do a PET scan this week, and I'll see a doctor next Monday. Thank you for all your support. And then Lisa's family, just this week, this is from her mother, and this is her uncle, my, my, uh, Lisa's uncle. Her mom writes, my heart is broken. My brother, Ken McCoy, passed away around 1 a.m., and he's gone to be with the Lord. Thank you for all your prayers. We're deeply touched. His funeral is this Friday. I think the reality of Instagram and Facebook is that our lives are not as perfect as sometimes we would like to portray. True? And, and when we post things, it, it creates this idea that maybe life isn't filled with challenges, but we know the, the truth. It is. In fact, the words of James speak to us today. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Strange, isn't it? Consider it pure joy. We're in this new series on James called Faith Works. And today's we're talking, today we're talking about temptation and perseverance. That one of the reasons we have problems is just so that we are able to learn patience and perseverance. And that God develops our character. So what I want to do today as we look at this passage is just look at God, things that God teaches us, things we need to learn, and then what the Bible says we need to do, okay? So here's some things we need to learn. I think we have to learn that problems happen to everybody. James chapter 1, verse 2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And that word there, whenever, is, is, means that you will face them. It didn't say if you will face them, but whenever you will face them. All of us will face trials in this life. In fact, we learn that testing times are inevitable. It doesn't say if, it says when, and all of us are going to face it. James was good at understanding this. James, the half-brother of Jesus, saw his brother crucified, resurrect. Not only that, he was talking to individuals. He was writing this letter to people who were being persecuted for their faith. It's interesting to me that the word in here translated encounter, that whenever you encounter trials of many kinds, is the same word used in Luke chapter 10 to describe the good Samaritan, or the the man who was robbed, the good Samaritan story, and he was encountered by robbers. And so he was mugged by the robbers. That was the same word. It's the same word used in Acts 27 to describe a shipwreck when Paul was shipwrecked. And I would just guess that some of you today, from your problems, feel a bit mugged and a bit shipwrecked. Testing times are inevitable. They're also variable. There are all kinds of different testing times. Um, the word here for variable is the word we get polka dot from. And polka dots come in all kinds of different shapes and sizes. Some of our trials are predictable. It's predictable outcomes. You do something, there's going to be a predictable outcome. It's like the Bible says, you reap what you sow. And so if you've Smoke for many years, it might be predictable that you might get lung cancer. If you drink and drive, it might be predictable that you might get a ticket. If you have hazardous behavior in your life, there will be hazardous outcomes. I think those are not surprising trials. Those are predictable trials. But then there are unpredictable trials. There are just sometimes things that happen in our lives. We go, God, I don't know where this came from. It came out of the blue. There is no cause and effect. And sometimes they're inexplicable trials. Sometimes there's some things that happen in our lives where we go, God, I have this, this is beyond reason. This is a trial that I have no explanation for. This is the Job scenario where Job's living a godly life and suddenly God allows testing times to happen in his life. He loses his children. 
loses his property, his possessions. The only thing God leaves him with is a nagging wife. Amen. It was a challenge for him. You're like, God, why? You're like, why? Out of everything. And, uh, and so what ends up happening is he stays faithful to God, and God blesses him in the end, and, and it all comes out. But it's just inexplicable. Job doesn't know why. I think another thing we need to learn is that problems are a pathway to maturity. God uses problems to mature us. Verse 3 and 4 says, Because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's the goal. It's the goal that he would mature your faith, right? So that you would grow in your faith. I've learned that my faith does not grow in the times of blessing. It grows in the times of trusting. It grows in the times where I need to say, God, I don't get all of this, but I trust you in this. Your faith is going to grow. I enjoy listening to young speakers that are right out of the gate, and they're all excited, and they're green, and they're, but their illustrations often relate to things that are very, very simple, which is easy for people to understand, but they relate to things like back in high school when I dated the prom queen or whatever, you know? And then I listen to people who are kind of in the middle of their life, and they go, wow, listen, when um, my parents passed away or my children left home, well, that was a real challenge. And, uh, and sometimes they're facing and they are weathered by the storm. And then I hear the stories of people who are still speaking in their 70s and 80s to crowds like this, and they're speaking, and their messages are so filled with wisdom and, and, and so much peace and tranquility because somehow they have perspective as they look back on their life. Vance Havner says it this way. He says, in our spiritual life, there are spiritual freshmen, sophomores, juniors, and seniors. The freshmen, they know not, and they know not that they know not. The sophomores, they know not, and they know that they know not. Those spiritual juniors, they don't know that they know. And the spiritual seniors, they know, and they know they know. They have gone through the fire, right? They understand that their faith is now growing. That's why Paul could write with his perspective in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, that our troubles are light and momentary, and they achieve for us a weight of glory that far outweighs them all. Not only does it mature your faith, it matures your patience. The testing of your faith develops perseverance. God teaches you to hang on in this. It's going to be okay, and when you're going through tough times, God can create patience in you. You've heard before, don't pray for patience because God will give you opportunity to exercise that. It will be in some traffic jam or it will be in some life event and you'll be like, I don't know, but I'm going to give you patience. And he also matures your character. Remember, gang, gang, God is not so concerned with your comfort as he is your character. True? He's concerned with developing you, saddle busting you. And realize that if you're going to be like Jesus, you've got to face the same things Jesus did. Fatigue, loneliness, temptation. To be depressed and discouraged. Jesus faced, the Bible says, all the temptations that you face and yet was without sin. And so he faced all those difficulties, yet he stayed faithful to God and God continued to develop him. I think we also need to learn that problems help us depend on God. What I've learned in my life is that when I'm doing well, I have a tendency as a flawed human being to think that somehow I achieved those things, right? Somehow, I made that happen. Somehow, I'm successful. And yet, when I fall on my knees and face before God in the times of challenge is the time where I go, God, I, this is beyond me. I, I don't know what to do here. I appreciate my buddy over here, Fred Quarter. Fred and I have been friends now for, what, 15 years at least. and Been going to lunch together. And 
Fred was alcoholic for, I guess considered still alcoholic for many, many years, and although he's been sober for now 30, and and uh, we get together, and he goes to a lot of AA meetings, sponsors a lot of individuals, takes the bad stuff that happened in his life and creates it for good, goes to prison. Fred always tells me, he said, give me the worst guy. I want the person that's the worst person. I want the one that's the most difficult. That's the one I want, the one that nobody else wants. And uh, in, in AA, they call my buddy Fred, keep it simple Fred. That's his nickname, right? Because when we get together, he's just right, straight up, this is the way it is. And so I, I enjoy that. But many years ago, he, he tells me he was not a brown bag alcoholic. In fact, he says, Stephen, hardly anybody that's an alcoholic is a brown bag alcoholic. He said, I was a periodic, meaning that, uh, that I drank on the weekend or I drank when I wanted to, thought I was in control. But as things around me were falling apart, realized that maybe it wasn't in control, and yet Fred also had great success at his, at his workplace. In fact, worked for an alcoholic beverage company and really came to a critical moment in his life many years ago when their company was sponsoring the, uh, the uh, Super Bowl that year and went to his hotel room, and before he went into the room, he knew that on the other side of that room was going to be all kinds of alcoholic beverages, whatever he would want, and he realized in that moment that he was at a critical moment fell on his knees right there in the hallway before uh, God and the maid or whoever else walked by. And before he put that key in there, he, he got on his knees and just prayed a simple prayer, but an honest prayer. God, help. And he said he stood up from that moment and he realized that God would give him the strength to endure the temptation. And Fred, you've been sober for 30 years now, my brother, and uh, that is awesome. It's awesome. James 5, 1 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. God didn't say you had to be fancy when you asked for wisdom. Just cry out, help, God. I need help. And what we realize in those moments like that is we have this utter dependence on God. Now, that's what we need to learn. We need to learn everybody has problems. We need to learn that problems lead us to maturity. And we need to learn that problems help us depend on God. But here's what we need to do. I think the first thing we need to do is rejoice. James 1, 2 says, consider it pure joy. Consider it pure joy. That seems impossible, but I'm encouraging you to change your attitude about your problems. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18 says, in everything give thanks. Now notice it didn't say for everything give thanks. I don't give thanks for all the things that happen in my life, but in the middle of those things, I'm able to give thanks to God because he's allowing me to walk through them. He's allowing me to come out on the other side. In everything give thanks to the Lord in everything. Viktor Frankl once said, the Jewish psychologist who spent time in the Nazi concentration camps, said, they stripped me naked. They took everything. My wedding ring, watch, I stood there naked, and all of a sudden I realized at that moment that although they could take everything away from me, my wife, my family, my possessions, they could not take away my freedom about how I was going to choose to respond. He chose his attitude wisely. Psalm 34, 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be on my lips. You choose how you respond in the midst of difficult circumstances. I like this guy, Brian Heise. He was noted in the strange and unusual events of 1982 in the Encyclopedia Britannica yearbook. Oh, he had a difficult day back that year in July. His apartment in Provo, Utah was flooded from a broken pipe in the upstairs apartment. 
The manager told him to go out and rent a vacuum cleaner, a water vacuum, and so he did. He discovered that his car, though, as he went out, had a flat tire. He, cha- he changed it, went inside again, called a friend from help. But as he walked in, the water and his phone somehow got together, and from the electric shock from he got from the phone, he inadvertently ripped the phone from the wall. Before he could leave the apartment a second time, a neighbor had to kick the door down because the water had caused the door to swell, and it was unable, he was unable to open it. While all this was going on, someone stole his car. But it was almost out of gas, and so he found the car a few blocks away, upon which he had to push the car to a gas station in order that he could go anywhere. And uh, he had to endure that trial as well. Then finally, when he was able to get into his car, he was going to attend a military ceremony at his university. And he injured himself severely when somehow he sat on his bayonet, which he had tossed into the front seat of his car. Doctors were able to stitch up that wound, but no one was able to help resuscitate four of Heise's canaries who were crushed to death from falling plaster in his house from the water pipe that had broken from his neighbor. And after Heise slipped on the wet carpet and badly injured his tailbone, he said he began to wonder, quote, if God wanted me dead but just kept missing. That's a pretty good attitude for a guy who had a really bad day. I'm just encouraging you. You can't change your circumstances. You can change your attitude. You can change how you respond. And that's why, that's why James writes, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. And then I think in the middle of the trial, you should request. James 1.5, if any of you lack, lacks wisdom, ask God. Request. You got to pray for wisdom when you're in the middle of problems. Don't pray why, God. That's what we usually pray. God, why did this happen? You should pray, God, what do you want me to learn from this situation? We should depend on God, request from Him, pray for wisdom to understand, but also pray for wisdom to endure. Philippians 4, 6, Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. God, I need your help. And then relax. Now when I say relax, I mean ultimately you have to believe either that God is in control or He's not in control. You have to either trust that He is or that He isn't. Paul writes in Philippians 4, 7, the peace of God, when you pray and present your request, there is a peace that passes understanding. And and it will guard your heart and your your mind in Christ Jesus. Trust God to know what's best for your life. Cooperate with his purpose in your problem and pain. That's what's called faith. You have to believe and not doubt, James writes. Now, guys, listen, my heart aches for people in our church when they go through times of trial. So many people will come to me and sit across the table from me and will share hardship beyond hardship. Family crisis, financial hardship, insecurities, struggles with their faith, a wayward child, real challenging issues. And as they share those things, I want them to know God cares about you. God loves you. I know that the answers aren't easy. But just trust, he knows what is best. He does have the power to do something about it. And sometimes God does. Sometimes we pray and God invades history and and he changes the circumstance. And there have been miraculous moments like that. But in my experience, far more than that are the moments where God just allows you to endure the pain. You say, well, why does he do that? Because somehow God is more interested in your character than he is your comfort. Somehow he matures you in the process. 
And somehow he lovingly holds you in the middle of that. So relax. Relax. Believe that God actually has your best interest at heart. As, as our family has endured some challenges, and I, I think about my life, by the way. I think about the hardships in my life, and I, I think growing up, I, really the only hardships that I really faced were hardships of my own making. You know what I mean? The consequences of my own behavior. That's the kind of thing. And then you get a little bit older, and you, uh, you realize there are your own, you have your own relational challenges, or you have your own financial challenges, and, and uh, people you love begin to pass away. You begin to learn through that, and yet in your early 20s, you still have this idea, we can conquer the world, you know? And uh, this optimistic attitude that I think should prevail. And, and then you get in your 30s, and you're still pressing in your career, and you're trying to figure out, how do I do more and get more and all this? And, and, uh, and then other hardships start to happen. And I've learned in my 40s that I'm in that kind of middle stage where both my children are growing and going out, and we're helping to do some of their college, and yet at the same time, my parents are aging, my father passes away, people that are close to you are going through challenges and trials, and and what I've learned is that my perspective changes over the years. Yes, it's hard. I would love to tell you I have a handle on problems. I would love to tell you that I never ask God difficult questions. I would love to tell you that, boy, I've got this all together, and, and I never struggle with these things, but I do struggle, but I still believe. And I tell you, how the people around me have faced challenges have helped me face challenges. When um, Dad went through cancer for 19 months, uh, one of Mom's verses that she would share, and they would talk about, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice in it and be glad in it. Not tomorrow, just today. Today's a good day, she would say, and so let's enjoy today. And so that was all. We're not promised tomorrow. Not any one of us are promised tomorrow. Today's a good day. We're handling today. That's what God gives us strength for the day and hope for tomorrow. That's what we sing. Strength for the day, hope for tomorrow. And by the way, there's a great fantastic promise in James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. When he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. That's right there in James. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. For when you do, you will receive a crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And by the way, that crown of life is talking about eternal crown. And and so sometimes we are not delivered from our problems on this side of heaven. But when we ultimately get to heaven, we receive that crown, that reward that says, you made it. Well done. I know it was hard. I know it was challenging. While you're on this earth, this is the day the Lord has made. And I will rejoice and be glad in it. And then when you eventually go home, here's a crown that you receive for your great reward. Cast all your cares upon him, friends, because he cares for you. So relax. Trust in him. It's not easy. Life is not easy. But it's good. God, thank you for loving us. In these next few moments, God, give us your your love. As we worship you, help us know and be comforted, God, by the words of the scripture, by the fact that you have a plan for our lives. Help us to trust in that, God. We ask in Jesus' name.